0: This is Racing with Bruno at Podcast Central. I would like to reward you, the listener, to our podcast to a 25% discount by simply using the promo code podcast at racingwithbruno.com. It's simple. Go to racingwithbruno.com, select any credits or all-inclusive access subscription, enter your promo code podcast, and get 25% off. Thank you, and as always, Racing with Bruno pays for itself well that is ricky skaggs if i lose and there's a guy on the other line that uh, if you ask him he never loses he's one of my favorite people in the whole world and uh he's glad that i could have him on this podcast i'm racing with bruno and welcome to eric j guillot and what is the j stand for eric
1: Well, everybody knows it stands for genius, right?
0: (laughs) Well, first of all, let me just say it's great to have you on. I think you're a wealth of information and you're very entertaining. And uh, it was great spending some time with you in Ocala. I want to talk to you about your career, first of all. First of all, tell us a little bit about how you got into racing.
1: Well, I'm from in Louisiana. I mean, think, think about it, guys. Uh, we got a state of three million population in the whole state, and we have four tracks. We used to have five with Jefferson Downs. But four, four legit tracks in the state of the So it's a way of life growing up in Louisiana where I'm from, you know. And Bruno has been, honestly, growing up at the match races, there's six match races within a 30-mile radius when I was a kid. I, I, I'd pick pecans and wet the sacks and sell them for gambling money on Sunday after church to go to the match races. And uh, either cutting grass or picking pecans, you know, in that heat of the swamp, neither one of them was fun. But it's a way of life. I mean, everybody has a, a horse or two in their backyard, you know, for the match races. And and it was – it was, it was a, you couldn't have more fun match racing and, and running horses in Louisiana. It, it You know, the game has changed so much. I mean, it, it's to the point now where everybody got to be politically correct and take the fun out of the game, you know what I mean? And for us in Louisiana – it was, uh we couldn't wait at 12, 11, 12, 13 years old to go to grade school, or uh, junior high, and and, and stick the, poke, poke the bear with the stick about, ha, 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 we, out, we outrun you yesterday and
0: rematch for the following week, you know, Bruno? So, well, Eric, you're best known as, tra- as the trainer of grade one winner Moreno. Uh, the Gelding won the Whitney Stakes in 2014, placed in the Travers, the Pennsylvania Derby, Suburban Handicap, and others. You're associated with, uh, Thoroughbred owner Mike Marino of Southern Equine Stables. How did that come about?
1: Uh, Well, you know, he also don't forget he broke the track record in Charlestown against Sheer Belief, and the best horses of oh. which I was as confident as they was because it was a three-turn, didn't-know-where-the-wire-was program. Uh, Mike, it, it, it's... it's woo, we don't have enough time for the whole story, and the reason why I could be so happy is because the struggles were so real, try, fighting to try to get where I wanted to be in my career in California all those years, but I was private trainer for Merv Griffin in the mid-90s. And then uh, when that kind of dissipated, I was training for my in-laws, who I was a private trainer for before that, before Merv in the early 90s. And and, uh, and I, I was tired of being there, uh, struggling in California. And I said, well, you know what? Lone Star is just opening up, Bruno. And uh, it was the first year. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I had the good Philly show me the stage, as you remember, right? Oh, yeah. I so, only had four horses, but she was one of them. And I knew how good she was. So I'm like, I'm gonna move back to Louisiana. I'm gonna regroup and I'm gonna try to become the you know, the, the big fish in the little pond, so to speak, and I'm gonna go to Lone Star with this good Philly and I'm gonna hustle. I'm gonna go out to in Dallas with all the money. I figured Texas just get racing, right? So I'm gonna go there and hustle some clientele, big money clientele in, in Dallas. And I came back with my uh with uh at the time with just my girlfriend before she's the mother of my seventeen year old son, my girl from uh from she moves back to Louisiana with me and she gets a job over there with Mike and Mike, uh, Mike's probably at 29 years old. and He's just getting started out and he's got this safety uh, oil field company and uh, she's working for him and show me the stage breaks up made about 14 at Lone Star and wins the stakes. And she puts a picture proud of her in the office. And next thing you know, Mike comes in, don't say peep to her, just kind of comes in and he looks at the picture. He's just infatuated with the picture, you know? So he has like a little housewarming party for the office guys and, I go there, and I told oh, he likes horses. So I started putting some bigger pictures from my past <laughs> greatest things in, in her office, bro. And uh, I go there. The next morning, he comes back in the office, and he tells, after that night of that little house party he had, and he tells my, my old lady, he goes, either your husband's the best horse trainer in the world, or he's full of shit. You know what I mean? So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it, think, I, I, I think the latter might no, be, you know, no. something. Well, uh, I don't know. What's, you what, what, are, you what, are a very good horse trainer. What, what, and I got I, I to I I step back now because i've known you since 1992 right and this is where one of the best horse trainers stories come in you were on our show with myself john hernandez and jeff bloom and you had just claimed a horse by the name of slew the surgeon right tell us a little bit about that was that for merv oh
1: no that's before merv griffin um this is a long story but okay so i when i first got started in the late 80s i was down i was contracting and making tons of money contracting things were booming in california and i was missing my horses and chasing my dream so i changed i sold my beach properties i owned in the 80s in the mid 80s and moved to and bought a three-acre farm out out towards alpine out there you know in uh, san diego and started kind of trying to i didn't know anyone i was young and back then the the, bruno the owners were you know older guys they would give them to the mccanales and the whittingham's of the world it was a different era i think the only i was me i was maybe one of three own trainers in california that was of 25 of age maybe like me larry sterling ron ellis and uh and and hess jr was about you know because they were in the in the family was in the game so when i moved here it was a struggle to try to get broken in so so what I did is I, I was I would jip them in the round pen, and then on Saturday I would drive my construction truck and horse trailer I had, and and, and leasing little broke down California bred horses and horses with tendons and suspensories and things of that nature, and uh, and go work them at St. Louis Ray. A funny story is, I'm over there one Saturday morning and uh, working a horse, and I see these big horses coming from the back of the barn areas, and I go. Jesus Christ, I didn't know they had, like, jumping or dressage, you know, and delusions or whatever. Big horses here. They they got jumping here and lost out? I mean, at uh, St. Louis, right? The guy goes, no, that's Whitnam's two-year-olds. I go, oh, that's what a real horse looks like. (laughs) (laughs) When I left Louisiana, I'm used to looking at 800-pound Louisiana bred, you know what I mean, my whole life. So that's how it all got started. And And the guy gave me, who I was good friends with, gave me my first shot, gave me, like, seven homebred cheap horses type. And I realized that being a being a horse trainer and living in San Diego is like trying to be an actor and living, you know, not being in Hollywood. So I thanked him. I gave him back all the horses. He gave him someone else. And I moved up with one broke down horse myself back up up to Hollywood Park. He still had the old barns back. That would have, that probably was 89, I guess. And so so I meet this lady. I drive out and I go all over the, the East County of, of California. And I meet this lady that on and her first horse was through the surgeon. And Mel Studi had the horse, right? So Mel Studi had the horse. He wins the stakes, and he runs. And then inside the uh, uh, Iowa Derby, I think it was, one of those derbies way back east at the 3-0, he gets hit in a contusion to the bone on the front of the cannon bone, and he bowls a in the race. So I go out there. She tells me the story about the horse, blah, blah, blah. She promised me a couple of two-year-olds. If I told her, listen, I'm really good with legs. I'm as good as they get in the business. Me and Robin Hood's the only two good people with a bow, and he's been dead a long time ago. So, <laughs> w- w- why don't you send me the horse? I won't charge you other than the bills for the horse. I'll work on the attendant. I'll fix the horse, and you can send it back to Mel Studi after I fix it. But you promise me a couple of two year olds because I don't want to step on anybody's toes. Just moving up here to you know to L.A. and I, I, I you know I want to be do the right thing and I you know so. Long story short, no, it's a longer story than that. All the details, but anyway, she got to where she just wanted me. It was her first horse, and the lady that bred him in in, um, in Southern Cal had the stud. I can't believe you're giving that young guy this horse. Blah blah blah. She wanted me to get a night watchman. She wanted me. I, she ended up suing me because I when I claimed it, saying, "Oh my God," she was crying and oh the horses. Oh, I can't. It's only Eric Gill that would have claimed the horse and. You know they were running it. She had given it to Don Pierce after I ran it the first time. It ran. I don't know if you remember these horses. Uh, multi-engine X-ray. Those horses that would go 114 and change six and a half. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I ran against them the first time, and I rode that kid Jason Eads. I mean, who? Nobody wanted to ride him with a boat-tended Bruno. So oh, you mean so the horse? run horse. He runs fifth. Right. He runs fifth. So now remember, this lady's not paying me money. I'm not making any profit. I go down, right. ship him down to Del Mar. I get him back to the races. My son, my two-year-old, my 30-year-old at the time, who's 30 now, he was two. He had the flu. He was crying. So the next morning, she complains to me about the wrinkled shirt. And my shirt was wrinkled from the hotel that I was paying for. Uh, my son was crying in the in the paddock. A two-year-old was crying. So you know what? I told? I had enough of her. I just said, you know what? Take your hearts and shove it up. You know what? You know what I mean? And. The next day, I'm divorced and separated. I mean, it, was, it hurt me. because, it was, No, seriously, it was, yeah. it was a hard time for me. And I was living up there, you know, start my contracting business over with a handful of horses, spending more time with the broke-down horses than, than contracting, so the relationship was brittle. And then she, I meet my father-in-law, my ex-father-in-law, the, you know, the quarter horse guy that I was private training for Double Bar S, as you know. I meet him, and I keep telling him. So Don Pierce runs the horse for 25, 32, 25, 32, 40, and he wins like six in a row, right? So I keep telling them, but they are scared of him because he was a mean SOB. He sent four Mexicans to the four Mexican groom guys to the hospital emergency rooms over his career. He was really mean. So one of the meanest horses I've ever been around. So now she's like she thinks, oh, she just went in money because she got no money because her, her husband divorced and so she was broke. So that's why she couldn't afford to pay me. So now they t- I, take, I tell my father-in-law, I said, hey, look, we should claim this horse. This is a good horse. This is a good horse, guys. I tried to get Mike Harmon to claim it. I tried to get uh, some of the training guys I was friends with to claim the horse. They go, oh, Gio, he's got a tendon, blah, blah, blah. So finally my father-in-law listened to me, and he let me claim it for thirty-two. And then two months later I win the grade 2 triple triple-bit handicap and <laughs> it up a booty. And, and the, the the LA the LA Times, the LA Times got a half a page article. Coke Goes From Claim to Fame. So of course she she sued me for running it with standing bandages and sued me because the guys in the holding barn, the receiving barn that didn't even work for me, were drunks and drinking and she was the daughter of a, a preacher, you know, what I'm thinking now, how the hell am I supposed to control other people, you know, in the world. So it was a long story. So she, so two, two or three races down the road, Bruno, she actually, she had her, her, her friend serve me papers in the cow cup in the, inside the, uh, inside the paddock where I'm saddled with the horse. She had her, her friend serve me papers. And of course the law, the judge just laughed at I. He said, you can't, you can't sue this guy because she sued me for doing voodoo medicine work with a with <laughs> pin, with a pin, with a, with, listen, for my pocket knife because all the vets didn't have the huevos to cut the contusion from the proud flesh. So I would get a scalpel from, I would get a scalpel from the vets 30 years ago. I'd get a scaffold. I would cut all the proud flesh off. I would put a compression bandage on it. I would dock up the, the contusion. Some of my finest work. It was the size of a silver dollar. You can see the white hair where it never grew back, but I made it flush on the cannon bone. You couldn't even see it. It's a, when it comes to the anatomy, Gio's the best. Ain't nobody in the industry. I take all challenges. Bring them uh, on! I, I love it when you,
0: I love it when you start referring yourself in the third person. Well, so, yeah, that's what makes it so fun. We'll move forward again. You meet Mike Marino, and a lot of people don't know. They just look at win percentages, and and by the way, your lifetime win percentage is around twelve percent. You won, yeah. you you know, you won over two hundred and fifty races. If I if I if I look at my uh, correct, right? Uh,
1: but 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 my greatest stakes versus career wins is ten percent greatest
0: stakes, and uh, my stakes is
1: seventeen percent versus career wins. So basically what it, what, what it has to, I love that. I love the fact I've been, listen, inferno. these, this industry is, it's crazy. I love the fact that they don't think, because my partner is Mike Marino and our best friends. I love him. He's like my little brother. And there's nobody better in the business. And, and, you know, right now we all you know, feel ain't good. And we don't have the money to spend on big dollar horses. But let me tell you something. This business needs more people like Mike Marino. Mike Marino is in, and and what I do differently than the rest is I take a guy, uh, like my father-in-law was the same way. And they, and instead of doing the, you know, I, I'll, I'll go back a little ways. I know, I know back in, but they did a, bio, a few bios on me, but back at Del Mar years ago when I was rolling and blowing. And, uh, you know, the last paragraph of the bio, I said, listen, I'm going to be the only one that's going to make it to the top of this game without lying, cheating, stealing, and you know, belittling the owners. and.
0: Eric, I'm just going to stop you right there, and we're going to take a quick break and come right back. Go ahead. And a little new town brings us back in. Naomi Weiss and uh, Eric Guillot with us here at uh, With the Works Podcast. I'm racing with Bruno, talking to Eric J. Guillot. And, uh, Eric, um, we were talking about Mike Marino. We were talking about percentages. You're a 17% 17 stakes-winning trainer. How did that – well, you and Marino, you, you got a brood band of mares for a few years you guys were really churning out a lot of horses through the sales and a lot of babies that look like they had a lot of quality
1: yeah well we, you know we've had that's why we're, we're able to win the big ones i mean at the end of the day if you think this industry can work without money then yeah yeah none of those big guys in the industry would have any big races or big nice horses without the pocketbook backing them up so th- the truth is you know my we when we first started we thought we would just be king of louisiana and the louisiana bread program we had just started we had about a we were up to about 65 broodmares in the louisiana program uh Bruno, back when the casinos come about into the racetracks and i even was a uh, part of the you know, the breeders association on the board and things of that nature but At the end of the day, the the state, they they wanted to fund all the cheaper races and it didn't justify, you couldn't justify buying a fifty to to $100,000 mare breeding to a $10,000 Kentucky stud. And then I would, this is what would happen. We would break that maiden by five, we'd win another end by three, and then there would be nowhere to run them. You couldn't route them. There was no other option. They wouldn't run two other ends. You'd have to wait and wait and wait and wait for a year. So I told Mike, I said, Mike, you know, it doesn't make sense to spend a hundred trying to make fifty just to win some races. So literally we just kind of backed out the Louisiana program, bought the farm in Kentucky, went to the next level and started doing the, you know, the the Kentucky bread in the high end program instead of the
0: Louisiana program. And that's how it all came about. That's how it started, Bruno. It's, it's an interesting point you just made. Um, nowadays I wanted to get your feeling on this. Nowadays it seems that it's so sexy to win for What's your view about horses when first time out at the Wolves? Well, it does.
1: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. I'll give, listen, that's why it all goes back to that stupid percentage thing because if I have a nice, I know, none, I've never in my 35 year career, a horse surprised me. Oh my God, all of a sudden, oh, this is a good horse. I know they're good. There's more surprises you when they, you think they're good and they don't turn out good, but the good ones have never surprised me. I know they're good from, from day one. Just like, just like me naming Marino. Marino's name was Crawford the Crook, out of somebody that had did had did Mike wrong. And I go, listen, if you want to name one after yourself, this is a good one. You think so? You think? I said, I'm telling you, this is the horse you name after yourself.
0: That's how it came about. I knew he was good before he ever ran first time. Well, so, what was his improvement like? Because I know I was at Belmont. I believe at Belmont you ran him in, mean, and, and I think one turn mile, and he destroyed the field.
1: Right. And well, he was. He what was happened? Turn, he was. Well, he was. A, he was very. He was an internal nervous type of horse. He was a maiden nine times before I gilded him. But but as soon as I gilded him, he was a different horse. He used to not get stupid in the paddock and things, but you could see him get nervous and and break out and, and get nervous inside the paddock. I mean, the post parade, you know what I mean? And going to the gate. So I, as soon as I gilded him. But, you know, listen, I've said this a thousand times, Bruno. Marino was very talented horse. But he wasn't the he wasn't the bravest. The reason you had to there's three things I used to say. He traveled for three straight years at the highest pinnacle, ran in every big race there was, Breeders Cup twice, blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, I used to say this all the time: if you're in front of him, you went too fast. I'm not gonna try to reinvent the wheel, and he's a one trick pony. And I couldn't be more right. I mean, I'll give you an example. You think, I guarantee you, the track record that I set at class, at the Charlestown Classic million and a half dollar race ain't never going to be broken in my lifetime. I'd be willing to bet that. And when I was going to take on the best horse, shared belief in the world, two or three weeks out, I was as confident of a horse that I, u- I used the Santa Anita big cap off of a, taking three chips out of his ankle and went back to training in 29 days as a, a race, as a prep. And everybody goes, Gio, who uses a mile and a quarter race off a layup as a prep for the Charlestown class? I go, I do. And I ran second, made 200 grand. And then when I shipped to Charlestown, because everybody in the industry, Bruno, they thought Marino was so game and such a game racer. And he wasn't. If he got hooked, he run dead last six times. If he, if he got hooked early, if he got hooked early, he would just quit and look for a place to lay down. So I, I put the earplugs in him. I put the full cup blinkers and I taught him to come out the gate quick and then hit the reins and he would just relax and fall asleep. And then you have to separate yourself at the quarter pole. When you get to the quarter pole, separate from the field because when he vibes a horse next to him, that's how I got beaten the Woodward after the Whitney. I was the best. I just beat the horse in the Whitney, uh, this my lucky day. And this is actually this, I'm going to tell you a funny story about that. And Junior uh, Alvarado, who rode him, in the Whitney, he wrote him just right, just like he's supposed to. Separate yourself. So now, after um, after uh who's the guy that had his my lucky day, the mama's guy, you know, uh, Eddie Placer Jr. Yeah. So after Placer, after I beat him in the Whitney, he figured out the deal with Marino. He's like in uh so he tells Paco Lopez, so it doesn't matter, Bruno, no matter where I go in the country, when Paco sees me from a distance, he hollers, Marino. Marino with his little fucking Mexican boss. <laughs> <laughs> so, so finally, so finally, right? So finally, I cornered him at Palm Meadows last year when you we were there, and in front of Eddie. And I go, "All right, Eddie, tell me the truth. Was it your idea, or this goddamn little Mexican's idea, to to, to hook Marino at the quarter pole <laughs> in the Woodward? That's <laughs> just right." So, so, so Eddie goes, "That was my idea." I said, "I fi- I thought so. so." So me and Paco, but uh, buddies, Paco's great. So. It was so Paco hooks him up, and and now it's become. It was like 2015 stretch run. It was it was at the end of the year when they they recapped the race, and it was one of the best stretch runs in the Woodward. But if you go back and you watch it, Bruno, they're going ding ding ding, and this my lucky day. Got his ears pinned, and he's he's slamming, and head hitting head like this, and Marino's got his head up like, what the hell you doing next to me, you S O B? <laughs> you know, and then he gallops out like ten in front. I like get beat a neck, and I told Junior. Damn, Junior! I told you to separate yourself at the quarter pole. You know.
0: Let's and, go to the Travers with Marino. Oh, that will take still, That
1: took, But just by the way, that I think that actually took some years off my life. The defeat in there, it really did. Because you looked home. Oh man, I turned back. You know how you know how I felt when he turned back. Uh, when Arb come on the inside, the Kentucky Derby win at the 16th pole, and it looked yeah. like I was home free. And then the last surge. I walked out of the tunnel on the back, on the, out of the paddock area where I was sitting by the cafe, and I got so emotional. I stood on the track watching the replay to see who got up, which I figured he, he, when they put him up, and it was fifty thousand because it was Travis. Ah, all the crowd and I just wanted to be gone. I wanted to go home. I I did not want to be there. Honestly, it hurt. It was the biggest defeat ever in my career, obviously, because I, I wanted the canoe painted, you know, like we call it.
0: <laughs> I would have loved to have watched you in the canoe. That yeah. would have been interesting.
1: You Can you imagine yeah. with the the silks, the Southern Equine silks, all the little checkers and the boxes and the EM square, you know, most people don't even know what that uh that logo is, you know, I mean, most don't even know what the logo stands for in Southern Equine silks, you know.
0: My, uh, you know, we had a joke after that race. We were all sitting up the, the next day clocking and, and we would expect it to have seen you in the lagoon with the canoe, painting it year over what
1: mm-hmm. the the
0: colors of Will Take Charge and right. Willis Horton and D. Lucas and, you know, and that was a tough beat, and, and you got beat by a really, really good horse, I mean, right. and your horse ran fantastic that day, and you caused a little controversy after.
1: Well, no, not me. No, I didn't. I didn't. My partner, and my brother did. And I'm the one who got the suit for it. What are you talking about me? I was
0: like, I was.
1: I didn't even when I filled out the complaint because I was the only one that could fill out the complaint when they had me go. Mike had me and Chip them kept telling me about it. I didn't even put Will take charge. I put uh Will take in uh, take charge Indy. I thought you know because I remember the brother. I didn't even know who. The, <laughs>
0: that's
1: how much I minute. paid okay. attention. I don't even so know. Who, I don't or even or know the hearts that so beat me, Bruno.
0: Your brother Chip is the one that created the stir after the fact, right? And you had the wrong horse. You put Take Charge Indy. Yeah, guy. I
1: didn't even know who beat me. You know, I don't pay attention to that shit. You know, so yeah.
0: Oh, wow. So
1: yeah, Chip. So Mike. So, uh, so Mike gets his, Mike gets exonerated, exonerated, and uh, Chip gets a brand new company truck, and I get sued for ten million.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't even my let, doing. Let me, let me ask you: Who is the? Which one was the best horse that you ever? you ever bred, and which one's the best horse you ever trained, even if we may not know
1: Okay, it is. the best best horse we ever bred was Marino, obviously, but, you know, best horse I ever bought was probably uh, Misueño and Champagne d'Oro. I mean, they were two fantastic fillies, best of the crops, and uh, both grade one winners. And uh, the best horse I ever bought was a horse by the name of Vjack. Remember I was telling you the story? Yeah, Sunday night? yeah. He was, oh, yeah. he was, uh, I was down at Calder, it was, that's when they had the tour and training and called the Kumor Bred Him. He was a three quarter brother to um uh, to um uh, that horse um uh, was the one that that uh, oh Roman ruler and uh and the other one that uh, that John had over that Hill and I can't remember the other one, the other good horse he had. So he was a three quarter brother of Roman ruler by foupe Paid a million dollars. I was telling you a little story. That's before Alex Lee Jr. was in into the blood horse thing. And I knew the Kumor guys knew I, I had money and I liked him and this horse was a freak of nature. So I had Alex actually bid on him up to a million dollars. Alex was nervous. He was kept looking at me. I kept telling him, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Just buy me. Raise your hand. So I get him to Del Mar. I get him to Del Mar, and uh, the hype, and he's just, he's like Fupe. He walks on his hind legs. and to put kicking pads in the thing. But one morning, he, he galloped out. One okay, nine. back,
0: back, back, You put what in the where?
1: Kicking pads in the in the stall because he would kick the stall, the concrete stalls. You know, he was sitting and oh, hurting okay. himself. So I put kicking pads up, and uh, and he was, I mean, he was a handful. But he had so much hype going into his first race at Del Mar. It was, it was crazy and uh and he lived up to the hype and then we, we moved that's when they had put all those poly tracks he, he he got left and got shoved with michael Bay's, and he still won his first time out and uh so we go to new orleans That that's the year i crushed him in new orleans 2000 i want to say 2009 that's all actually Bruno, that was the first time i ever had a large stable at 32 head i was fifth leading training and finished the meet at 27 percent and uh won like twenty-two out of eighty two races and ended up lean on close to lean on I think we lost about as Musen had double the starts for zona and we with the closing weekend. But anyway this horse is running and prepping him and, and for the, the Derby type things and and he's got he's four to five favorite in the six horse field. I told you the story remember he was coming at the three eighths pole. Yeah. A horse comes over on him. We kinda the the terrio overreacts, grabs him in the left he jumped into the left lead and, and snaps it off right there on the thing. I couldn't breathe. Cause I never got to prove this horse. So that's the best horse by far. He was, he was, he was going to be a stallion and he was going to win as many great ones as a, a man could win with a horse. He's that kind of horse.
0: Um, You mentioned about you, you, the biggest stable you had was 32. What's your feelings or your thoughts? What's Gio think of these major barns with two to three, 400 horses?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's, uh, obviously, they can't, you know, Yeah, majority of your horses don't, I mean, listen, listen, at the end of the day, these owners, it's not, it's, like I say all the time, it's, they don't want to wear the wranglers that fit just right. They want to wear the Tommy Hilfiger and the Jardash jeans and say, oh, Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown trains for me, Baffert trains for me, Fletcher, but in the reality, majority of their horses, majority of their horses, unless they jump to the class, front of class, are trained by a third-rate assisted trainer at an overflow facilities so are you going to tell me a guy like me who's been doing it 35 years who's famous for beating all the big guys in the big races that that knows the anatomy inside and out and i teach vets how to look at the anatomy of most horses and you, you can can do a, a can't do a better job than a guy who's a third string from you know some immigrant from ireland that's place horse trainer and you know an overflow that's what's going on with the business so my point about having the big stables that's great for them great for the trainer but it ain't that good for the owner and it's not that good for the industry bruno because the guys the guys got three horses four horses in the same condition in the barn that don't enter the box so it's it's hard on the entry box you know what i mean
0: yeah
1: that's that's the hardest part it's hard on the entry box they're not gonna run, I mean, you know, like I told you the story about uh I told you the story about the the little bears and the partridge. This is too cold, this is too hot, <laughs> this is too just right. They're gonna run the just right horse. They're not gonna run the eight to one. Look, it's pretty simple. Bruno, my, my little sister never touched a horse in her life. But if I gave her a hundred horses and I told her, tell the groom and the gala bars to work them a half mile on Saturday, feed them twice a day, Monday through Saturday, tell the vet to look at them when you enter them. You're going to train at freaking 20% when one out of five races, if you put them in and they're seven to two and under. I've proven that a thousand times. I don't care if I'm training at 1%, but if I run a horse, if you go back and look at the daily racing form and five-year chronicle of Eric of Gio, and I run a horse that's two to one and under, i am training at 33%, higher than majority of the outfits. So it ain't that hard to figure that if you put them in with their friends, they become friendly. It's just that simple.
0: And Eric, um, as we wrap it up here, I want to, what, what's, what's going on with, tell us about Leah band. Tell us what you're doing. You're up in Saratoga. You're a brand new dad at, at, oh. uh, at the ripe age of 56. Yeah. Uh, you know, 57. Um, I'm a grandpa now. <laughs> uh, you, you know, but tell us a little bit what Eric Kio's doing and, uh, where can we find you? Well, I'll be here all summer. I'm got a handful of, uh, uh,
1: well, I got three of them down at Belmont. I'll be back here in April. And, uh, basically i'm waiting to see i just like as you know i just got back from ocala i got seven in ocala in the two select sales some pretty high bred, and kind of see what's gonna you know we're gonna have, we sell whatever's gonna bring a lot of money and I'll, I'll train this summer i want two or three of them that that don't and uh so i'll be here this summer and we're looking forward to the LeBan. he's the hottest horse the hottest fire in new york he bred more mares than any other horse in the last two years his foes are phenomenal they selling at the sale like hot cakes way more than his stud feed. So. We're excited about trying to, you know, build up the stable being the New York bread. The, the, the state of New York, Bruno, the state program is by far the best. I mean, the Stallion Awards and the Breeders Awards, there's no other state that even compares for the money here. So we're trying to get to where, you know, i get the stable built up to 10, 11 or 12 and have a half dozen of them be New York bred. So, you know, it's kind of, listen, all the years we come to Saratoga with a 12 horse stable, we had two or three good horses that could compete and the others never were good enough. It was just a waste of money, you know. You got you got to have and, a good and, horse. And,
0: and I and I I can't let you go without talking, telling the story about the day that you won the race at Saratoga. They didn't let you into the winner's circle with shorts.
1: Oh no, yeah, but I got. I, I'm the only one that got my picture with shorts in the winner's circle at Saratoga. Let me tell you how I got that picture taken. <laughs> so I win the test by five with the feeling. Okay, I go get pick up the pictures at the guy. The guy John the the John and his father, the guys that do the uh, pictures. That you know they. They're big-time gamblers. He's like, yeah, I wish you would have told me about this Philly. I've been having a bad way going, man. I need, I, need a, I need a horse. I need a horse to bet on. I said, all oh, right, hey, listen, I got one. I had this horse coming from the farm in Louisiana. I knew it was a runner, and I was going to run for like 29-2. You know, it just broke his mane at Evangeline by 10. You know, but it just was, was It has serious issues. So I doctored it all up, and Nakatani had come here this year. And I put Nakatani. I said, look, Nakatani, the only way we're going to get beat, if we, if we if you fall off. So I told the guy, I said, listen, I'll tell you about a horse that ain't gonna lose, but you need to do me a favor. He goes, What's that, Gio? I go, I went when I'm gonna have shorts on, 'cause I ain't dressing up for a cheap twenty thousand dollar horse. So I said, When the horse wins, I'm gonna stand by the gate by the security guys, and before when you get all set up to take the picture, I'm gonna run in and I'm gonna you're gonna snap it real quick and I'm gonna run out. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then listen. So what I did, Bruno, I went down to uh I went down to the uh Aaron's or a picture thing. And I bought a cheap frame and I framed it. And then I walked into the racing office the next couple days and I wanted to put it on the wall and they didn't let me. I wanted to explore, you know,
0: <laughs> soccer, <laughs> Eric. Um, one thing that I'm looking forward to Saratoga, you are going to guest clock with me a few mornings and cool. we're going to do a live podcast clocking with me and you oh, awesome. right there. So I think we're going to have some fun. Well, hey, it's, this, these 30 minutes have gone by really fast.
1: What I like, what I like, what I would love to do. This is what I want to be. If I want to say one thing. To all the people out there, all the fans that enjoy, people don't underestimate. Y'all welcome to come. Born 46. Y'all welcome to come by. Bring your kids. Bring your great grandmother. I don't care. Come look at the horses. Pet the horses. I'm a people's person. You one thing you're gonna. You one thing if you don't know me by now, you're gonna know that I'm not a hater. I don't dog and I don't bad mouth other people. I never have. I never will. I've, I'm high on myself, but you know what? Like Louis
0: Armstrong said, he tooted his mouth. He tooted his horn with his own mouthpiece. So there we go. <laughs> Eric, I've <laughs> loved having you on. You're always, I'm going to try to make this a, uh, maybe a monthly thing or something. Every sure. six months, we'll have you on and we'll de- definitely have you on. The well,
1: we're going to do it. Let's we? do Let's do a, a fan base, a fan fair, some kind of like little seminar morning thing. I'm going I'm to get Nara to, to give us a spot, Bruno. You so got we can, it.
0: You got it. Just, just gonna let help me know industry. when and we'll do it. All, All right, brother. Bro. Hey, you guys have, uh, you've, I just enjoyed it and you guys, I hope, enjoyed it too. Eric Gio. You can find them on Twitter. You can't miss them. Uh, yeah, you can be hey, controversial. Wait, 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 wait. wait! Yo, you, can't yo, miss me, you can't miss because of my size? Is that what you're doing? Is <laughs> uh, that what you're trying to say? Yeah, I just said your butt's too big. Yeah. <laughs> Love you, Eric. <laughs> See All right, you brother. brother. Oh. And everybody have a great Tuesday and Wednesday and the rest of the week. At Racing with Bruno, we don't just like to play the races. It is what we do. It is what I do. Every product we've offered our clients was initially developed to give us an advantage at the window. When your bills and your pocketbook depends on that little extra something in the sauce, you stay ahead of the curve. Winning is one part of the game. Getting prices and making scores is what makes a horse player successful long-term. You can't reliably and consistently find prices by solely following mainstream information. You might get lucky sometimes, but it's damn hard to pay the bills that way. It's our exclusive information with years of experience. The Racing with Bruno staff has the capability and expertise to take your racing experience to the next level. Whether you're a novice, a professional, tournament of players, it doesn't matter. You need information. Information is knowledge, knowledge is power. So we combine our assets and our insights and skills to give you exclusive information and knowledge and that power. And in turn, you can show profit at the windows. We're proud to help shape and improve our clients' bottom line. Racing with Bruno does indeed pays for itself. Go to RacingWithBruno.com and see what we're all about. I want to talk to you about racing with Bruno Bloodstock. Yes, racing with Bruno Bloodstock can lead you to the winner's circle and can put you in a position to enjoy this game at another level. Racing with Bruno Bloodstock, what is it? Well, we deal, I deal, with yearlings, weanlings, two-year-olds, and our old mission statement is to produce horses that we can sell in the market whether it's at auctions, or whether it's after, like, with Miss Locust Point, that after we won a stake in our third start, we sold her on, based on six figures. I'm looking to make a score. I can't do it alone, and I invite you to come on board with me. Come sit with me. Come walk a mile with me, with our horses, to the sales to the winner's circle. Everybody has a dream of winning the big race. My dream is to make that big race with a big horse and make a lot of money. Join me at Racing with Bruno Bloodstock. Bruno at racingwithbruno.com. Send me an email and I'll tell you more. And plus, I'd love to talk to you about it in person. Have a great day.